spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Uh, today we are joined by Miss Helen Moepi, who is currently the fisheries officer at the African Union, Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources, uh, abbreviated as AUIBA. She's responsible for supporting all the African Union member states in improved governance for fisheries and the aquaculture sector. She'll be telling us more about the implementation of, uh, of the fisheries governance project, uh, that is FishGov2, since its inception up to date. What is it that the project ha has been able to achieve? What are the key learning lessons for African member states? And what should we adapt for a successful fisheries sector in the African continent? We are your hosts, Jokithuo and Wayne Wafula. Yeah, from your experience today, we'd like to have our audience understand better the fisheries ecosystem and, and how things work together for their good and for the good of that agribusiness venture and how we can better this sector. Amazing. So, Helen, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you so much. I would start off with uh, just a broad understanding of what is the blue economy, which of course cover, captures the fisheries uh, subsector, and why is it important for African farmers and generally any uh, public that's listening to this podcast today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mrs. Njuki and Wayne. Thank you for providing me with the opportunity to talk about the fisheries activities that AU AIBA is basically undertaking on the continent. Uh, blue economy is basically an economic term concerning to the exploitation and conservation of the marine environment. So in the African context, this is very important because we are blessed with a vast ocean territories estimated at 13 million square kilometers. We have many inland water bodies such as our Great Lakes and rivers. We have also wet wetlands of strategic importance to provide opportunities for fisheries, aquaculture, shipping, coastal tourism, offshore oil and gas mobilization and other blue economy related activities. So this concept is basically important for the continent mm -hmm. and uh, the African Union Commission has drafted the strategy for Africa blue economy. And the strategy basically advocates for uh, advancing blue economy and enriching our knowledge on the marine and aquatic biotechnology, environmental sustainability for expanding Africa-wide shipping industry, 
by develop and also developing our seas, rivers, and lake transportation system, and basically the overall management of fishing activities on this aquatic uh, species. But it's not only limited to the fisheries sector; it also includes the exploitation of uh, the exploitation and beneficiation of deep sea mineral and other resources in an inclusive and sustainable manner that significantly contributes to Africa's transformation and growth. So really blue economy is recognized at the African Union Agenda 2063 Mm -hmm. for Africa we want, and it is declared to be Africa's future as a substance for socioeconomic transformation. Thank you. Wow, that's that's quite elaborate. I think I had you talk about is it thirteen uh, million kilometer squares or is it thirty? Um, uh, thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, one three million yeah. square kilometers. Wow, that goes to show why, as uh, Africans, we should be paying attention yeah. to the blue economy. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for that. Indeed. So mm. and and. And even from what you are mentioning from that vast resource that we have as a continent, it's clear that then if all these things are to work together, we have multiple revenue channels or multiple micro economies within the blue economy. So there's there's the tourism aspect of it, there's energy, there's, there's fishing, yes. there's transport. That is true. And uh, building up on that, uh, I mean, when the strategy was developed, really they undertook some studies Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to understand the contribution of this uh, blue economy sector to the Africa's uh, economy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the estimates were that uh, currently the blue economy generate a value of about 296 billion US dollars with approximately 49 million jobs. And should all things work together, uh, it is also projected that by the year 2030, the blue economy shall contribute approximately 405 billion US dollars and 57 million jobs. And the projection goes ahead until 2063, whereby we shall have 78 million jobs and the blue economy shall be valued at about 576 billion USD. So I think there are so many opportunities in the sector. Uh, It depends on us where we want to direct our investment in, but this blue economy concept really provides a, a vast opportunities for Africa really to develop itself. Wow, that's some interesting numbers there. Um, and currently, yes. that um, in, 20, in 2030, we shall have employed more than we do right now. That's quite encouraging. Um, if we could now mm. narrow down our focus to the African fisheries, uh, you can tell us more about what uh, the FishGov2 is all about, what um, AUIBA has been doing to ensure that the fisheries subsector in Africa is successful. And maybe you can also touch on the crisis or challenges that the sector faces and how AUIBA has been able to overcome some of the challenges, if not all. Uh, thank you much for that question. Uh, I think generally, it, you know, we all know that uh, fish 
tertiary sector and aquaculture, it's also compounded with uh, a lot of challenges like any other sector. And one of the main challenges that the sector is facing currently is the increasing menace of what we call illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing activities, particularly in our exclusive economic zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, studies have also shown that uh, Africa is losing approximately 10 billion US dollars per annum due to weak monitoring, control and surveillance capacities in our waters. Mm-hmm. So you also have challenges of um, sea piracy and illegal tra- drug uh, trafficking, mm-hmm. which pose a serious threat to the blue economy sector. Then we have issues of uh, pollution, especially yeah. through dumping of toxic waste. Mm-hmm. We have uh, outdated policies at our member states level, policies in fisheries and aquaculture, outdated environmental laws and policies, and uh, narrowing it down to the actors themselves, especially in the small-scale fisheries, you find that a lot of them are, there's poor coordination, you know, poor coordination, they are not working together, and uh, they are not able to... (laughs) you know, undertake their activities in a proper manner. Sometimes it's also due to lack of uh, uh, the right equipments to harvest. And uh, generally the poor infrastructure in the sector and also weak capacities to monitor or to conduct MCS, which is monitoring, control and surveillance. We have uh, weak capacities in extension services to support our aquaculture Farmers. So those are a few of many challenges that exist, but uh, that is generally what Africa is facing uh, continentally. Mm-hmm. But then if I'm coming back to what is a fisheries governance project, basically it was formulated in trying to address some of the challenges that I have mentioned mm-hmm. above. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, AU AIBA, together with uh, African Union Development Agency, which is now normally known as AUDA, mm-hmm. NEPAT, okay. we received funding from the European Union to implement this fisheries governance project, basically on strengthening the institutional capacity to enhance fisheries governance sector in Africa. So we started the implementation in 2014 until 2018. And the the overall objective of this project was to enhance the contribution of the fisheries resources to food security and economic growth in Africa. The project was implemented having uh, four key result areas. So we had a number of activities under these four key result areas. And one result area was basically focusing on improving institutional capacity and regulatory frameworks for sustainable fisheries management. Mm -hmm. Number two was to enhance sustainable fisheries management in small-scale fisheries, including inland water bodies. Three was to strengthen the institutional capacity and regulatory framework for aquaculture development. Number four was to enhance advocacy, lesson learning, 
and capacity for increasing investments and fostering reforms in the fisheries sector. So a number of activities were elaborated here, but uh, if you allow me, mm -hmm. I can just mention a few yes, please. successes or wins that we were able to, oh, thank you, <laughs> that we were able to achieve under FishGov 1. Mm -hmm. So one was that we were able to increase the profile and the recognition of the fisheries and aquaculture sector at continental and regional levels. And it's even amazing to note that some of our regional economic communities, mm -hmm. such as ECOWAS, COMESA, and IGAT, they have even established fisheries positions in their structures. And this has never happened before. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The same applies to AUIBA. Mm -hmm. The same applies to AUIBA because now um, the regular staff of African Union, IBA for fisheries and aquaculture. And this has never happened before. So I think we are really making a good strides in ensuring that there's capacities within our institutions to be able to implement and support, guide the development of fisheries and aquaculture on the sector. Coming back to FishGov 1, mm -hmm. Uh, the, the achievement number two was that we were able to contribute and strengthen the coordination in the fisheries sector. So we brought about the, the regional economic communities, what we call the regional fisheries bodies. We brought about also the regional projects that are funded by EU or GIZ or World Bank on the continent to come and communicate share our work plans to be able to ensure that we reduce duplication, but we can direct our efforts into the main activity. So we collectively, we share resources in implementing mm -hmm. the activities in respective regions in Africa. We have also facilitated regional uh, cooperation. We have formalized encourages between the Regional Fisheries Commission for the Gulf of Guinea, which is CORAP, mm -hmm. and the uh, Economic Community for Central African States and ICAS. So what is basically happening there is that uh, if I use an example of East Africa mm -hmm. close to home here, is that the East African community has formalized and recognized the Lake Victoria Fisheries organization as their technical office. So any issues related to fisheries and aquaculture, we communicate with Lake Victoria Fisheries Organization. But of course, under the support of the EAC. So that is basically what FishGov has been able to do in terms of uh, facilitating this regional cooperation. So the example spreads across Central Africa and also West Africa. We have also formulated the framework for regional cooperation on monitoring, control, and surveillance, which is acronymed MCS mm -hmm. in the five regions of Africa. We have strengthened the capacity on, of, on MCS for effective combat of illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, acronymed IUU fishing. And uh, of course, we have developed uh, some frameworks for regional frameworks for environmental management 
in aquatic production. And this framework was even adopted by the SADEC uh, Secretariat. So it's so some of the frameworks that we've developed, they are basically being implemented at the RECs. The achievements are so many. Then one of them is uh, we have also coordinated uh, an effective African participation and common voice in global fora in so many meetings of FAO, the Africa Tuna conferences, and many others. We have enhanced national level institutional capacity for fisheries data interpretation yeah. and utilization for evidence-based fisheries uh, management. And lastly, as AUIBA, we have developed uh, what we call the policy framework and reform strategy for fisheries and aquaculture in Africa, which is a blueprint document for guiding the development of this sector on the continent. And in implementing it, we have really strengthened the policy coherence by facilitating the alignment of national policies for countries like Kenya, Tunisia, Sierra Leone, Cameroon, and Mozambique to this policy framework, mm -hmm. as well as the, uh, some regional policies, especially for IGAD and EAC. Thank you. Oh, wow. From, from what you are telling us, I get the feeling that currently across the continent, what is really happening is an alignment of sorts as far as policy and regulation of the fisheries industry is concerned. Yes. So, yes. yeah, um, a lot of unified frameworks or uh, like agreeable ag arrangements on how uh, the regional bodies are going to yes trading and, and and exploiting the available resources yes yes that is true okay okay so let's put this uh, in perspective for our the farmers in the in the fish fisheries and like our fishermen and our fisher folk let me let's put it that way across the, the continent so mm -hmm. is it clear from a panafric from where you see it as AUIBA, where the opportunities for inter-Africa uh, trade uh, lie as far as fishing is concerned? At what level is our industry? If we were, if we were to look at ourselves achieving the targets we are setting for 2030 and into the 2060s um, and how the global market has been set uh, standards-wise, what are the opportunities and where could we see our African fish farmers yeah. getting to the short term, medium term. Okay. No, thank you for that question. Um, it's really important. I mean, if you look at the current uh, status in terms of what is happening for, for trade, mm -hmm. you will see that a lot of uh, intra and inter-African trade is basic, basically taking place in an informal way. We conducted some studies and it has shown that uh, the informal trade is basically uh, exceeding the formal trade. And why is that? So you talk about the issues of the product quality. Yeah. You talk about the issues of uh, processing. You talk about the, the issues of fish handling and quality, mm -hmm. you know, and you also talk about the issues of standards. So what we have realized is that um, 
given the context in which we operate, a lot of uh, uh, small-scale uh, industries are basically not able to meet these standards. Yeah. They are not able to comply with them. So I think there's a need for us to capacitate them and inform them that uh, if you want to generate more income, it is better you start incorporating issues of quality, efficiently, and standards. And we know once you have standards that are uh, enforced in Kenya, for example, your product can reach anywhere in the world, anywhere in Africa without issues, because you are able to comply with issues of food safety also to protect the human health. So I think we need to work on that in terms of seeing how we can move and inform these uh, huge numbers of informal traders into the formal sector, or seeing how we can support them to function in a formal way. And I think countries like Uganda are really recognizing the contribution of the informal sector to their uh, a, a GDP, and I think they've made so many strides to see how they can support them, yeah. you know, because these people are at the small scale level, and sometimes they don't even have the capacities to undertake the standards, they don't have the capacities to comply with the Bureau of Standards that have set for fish quality. That is one, but now coming to the opportunities that exist, I've talked about the vast opportunities existing in the blue economy sector in, in terms of what the sector contributes and its potential projections in the future. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to highlight here is that uh, you will recognize that most of our member states, they still export unprocessed product and raw material outside Africa. And if they are able to establish the fish processing plant, mm -hmm. I think we'll be able to, to empower ourselves, you know, we'll be able to empower ourselves and uh, generate this profit that we are losing by exporting the raw material. So we need to, Africa needs to be able to, to, to value, to add value to their products you know, and sell the final product other than exporting raw material. Yeah. Yeah. So if we build this fish processing plants in Africa, I think they will really help our countries in generating this economic uh, uh, earnings. And you talk about uh, investing in commercial aquaculture businesses. You know, you have countries like Nigeria that are leading in catfish farming, yeah. countries like uh, Egypt that are leading in tilapia farming. So those are opportunities for Africans to go to Nigeria and Egypt to learn how did they get it right. And we come back to our countries and see if we are able to uh, uh, engage in commercial aquaculture. What is currently happening is that the commercial Aquaculture is basically at the subsistence level. So basically, a lot of farmers are surviving. They are hanging in there, but not really unlocking their full potential, you know? 
So I think that is another opportunity that one can look at in terms of how they can support them in uh, increasing or reducing the cost of feed, which is a major operational cost in aquaculture businesses, and also seeing how our veterinary people can support them in identifying the diseases that they are currently facing in their farms. Uh, another opportunity that I see in Africa is that, uh, you know, a lot of our financial institutions, they are very reluctant to support the fisheries and aquaculture sector. In aquaculture, for example, you're talking about managing live animals. Should anything happen to your animals and they die, you have lost all your investments. And many of our financial sector, they are reluctant because they feel that this is a high-risk businesses. But we encourage them to come and support our sector. We need serious support financially to grow our businesses. You'll recognize that this business is not uh, a a very a cheap way, but it's very expensive. It requires, you know, quite a substantive investment because you're talking about equipment, you're talking about the infrastructure, the energy cost, and many others. And lastly, diverting from the fisheries sector, now looking at the blue economy context is I think there are opportunities within the shipping industry. There are very few African ship owners. And uh, I think they are also encouraging more people to come and join them. Shipping industries, they've got a great potential in terms of transportation of goods, transportation of services, and even, you know, establishing harbors in which uh, shipping can come and be maintained, repaired, in Kenya, you find that in Africa, there are probably few countries that have the docking station in which fishes could be repaired and maintained. Those are also opportunities for one to come and tap into. Oh, yeah. Let me stop there. Yeah, thank you. Wow, wow. You've, you have clearly outlined the opportunities that exist there. So um, I'm just wondering about the sustainability of these opportunities. First of all, let's start with the small-scale fishers, or fisher folk, mm. as my colleague called them. Uh, what do they need to do for them to ensure that this um, sector is sustainable? Um, as you can as well as touch on the medium to large-scale fishers, on uh, sustainability of this uh, subsector. Uh, thank you. I think one of the challenges that uh, Africa is facing generally is the exploitation of its fisheries resources. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is because uh, access to fishing has been opened. It's an open access kind of mechanism, meaning they are not regulated. Everyone can go to the ocean, can go to the inland water bodies, to the lakes to go and fish. But the government really doesn't have much control in terms of uh, regulating their activities and also 
ensuring that they comply with the quotas that they have identified at the beginning of the year. Yeah. You see that uh, now the fisheries, the fisheries resources are highly exploited mm -hmm. and you even have a number of uh, species that are exploited and red listed, meaning you are not even allowed to harvest them. Mm -hmm. Some are kind of medium, you know, you could harvest, but with restrictions. And where the resources are green listed, it means there are many, you can still harvest up to your optimum, optimal uh, limits, however, still following the requirements. So what, um, so what we are seeing is that the, the small scale fishers, they need to be informed and the awareness need to be created in terms of the species that they are allowed to harvest at a certain point and the limits that they need to comply with. Yeah. That is one. Mm -hmm. Number two, coming to the commercial sector. I think commercial sector really they are enjoying fishing because they are able to fish in distant waters. They have the capacity, they have the fishing vessel to fish mm -hmm. outside even the exclusive economic zones. So what really the government needs to do there is just to ensure compliance of the regulations, to ensure that uh, they, they harvest what they intended to harvest and they discard or they bring the discard on port, you know. Uh, but what what is a bit of a creating confusion between the small scale fisheries and the commercial fishing vessel is that uh, they feel that sometimes the commercial fishing vessels, you know, invade their space in the exclusive economic zone. Yeah. Given the fact that their their fishing vessel is small and cannot manage the high seas, but the fishing vessels are able to fish out there in the waters and still fish next to the shore. I think that is the the confusion that is there. But what I think needs to take place is that the, you see that a lot of. Uh, fishing vessels that are fishing in distant waters are not even owned by Africans. Those are foreign vessels. And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes it creates a lot of a problem for our national government to know what is happening there. Since I've talked about the, their weak capacities for MCS. Yeah. So a foreign fishing vessel could enjoy our waters and our national governments, sometimes they do not even know what is happening there. Not even aware that there's a fishing in our waters, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think we need to kind of <clears throat> increase our capacities for MCS, especially for distant water fishing vessels, and also to educate our small-scale fishers in terms of um, the fishing gears that they can use Mm -hmm. and the level of uh, exploitation of our fisheries resources. This is basically based on our national government's rules and regulations mm -hmm. because we cannot impose that they, you know, they, they close their fishing areas. 
but they need to come up with a strategy in which both the fishermen and them are happy in terms of how they can exploit the fisheries resources. Remember, the fisheries resources contribute significantly to food security, Mm. job creation, livelihoods for our small-scale people. Other countries, they came up with uh, closed measures whereby, whereby sometimes they are closing seasons for fisheries resources to you know, to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And during those times, really the fishing activity, activities are banned. Yeah. But some countries, they have closed measures in terms of um, if you are a fisherman, you need to get license, fishing license from the fisheries department. They, and that stipulates what you are allowed to catch and the limits therefore. Therefore, then you can continue to fish, but given the limits stipulated on the permits. So it depends on the countries and their kind of fisheries management <clears throat> plans. But what is important here is uh, I think we need to work together mm-hmm. with our fishermen. We need to communicate. We need to also involve them in the management of these fisheries resources. They know them better than we do. Yeah. They go out on the sea. They know which species is uh, getting extinct. Yeah. They know the yeah the abundance of certain species. So I think it's important that we work together. And that concept in fisheries is called co-management. You know, yeah. really giving them the opportunity and space to manage together with the national government. Wow. Um, following mm. up to your comments about overfishing, and it's indeed that. Uh, the fisheries support a lot of livelihood. In fact, in some countries, they contribute to more than 50% of uh, protein-based nutrition to the population. Uh, a country, for example, um, Liberia, I've mm. had, I don't know whether this is true, but I've seen, uh, I've read articles, I've seen uh, documentaries uh, talking about overfishing by foreign vessels. The fact that yes. they capture everything, even the young ones, then mm. means there are no new, uh, can I say, the fish stock to regenerate yes. numbers in the ocean. Um, what do you propose or what is AU AIBA doing uh, in that aspect? That's now fish piracy, if you can yeah. call it so. Uh, mm. How do we control that so that at least Africa <laughs> bring forth a new fishing revolution where we are able to feed or rather to meet mm. our demand for fish protein and of course support the uh, economy through other yeah. uh, activities like fish processing because I've seen people uh, being creative enough to come up with uh, leather belts out of fish skin, I've seen shoes, I've seen so many things that can come from the fishing industry yeah. in in our in in Kenya at least we have a meal that comes from fish and it's for mm. animal feeds so you can see how this industry is entwined with other industries if it dies of course several others will will, will die um mm. so how is AUI bar ensuring that this trend of overfishing fish piracy is taken care of uh, thank you for that question. I have mentioned uh, previously that uh, during the Fish Gap 1, really, we have uh, trained uh, 
the fisheries officers, we have trained the trade officers, the Navy, judiciary on MCS for effectively combating IUU fishing. So basically, we've realized that um, stopping these illegal activities will really entail a number of departments, Mm -hmm. not only fisheries sector, because fisheries sector, they don't have the mandate to arrest. Okay. It's only the Navy and the judiciary that can take it through the legal processes. So we brought on board all these people, we trained them on the challenges, Mm -hmm. and we have capacitated them. So what we have um, really uh, did was that uh, we encouraged them to build or to strengthen their MCS capacities. When they go out and monitor these people, it should be fisheries officers, it should be the Navy person should also be on board as well as the judiciary. So that should they find that somebody has transgressed, they are able to arrest the person. Number two, we have come up with some regional cooperation framework for MCS. So what we are saying is that uh, we are encouraging countries in the same region to share information on their fishing vessels that are on their waters. Mm -hmm. For example, if a fishing vessel come to Kenya, Mm -hmm. Kenya should inform Tanzania, Somalia, Djibouti, down there until even the island state to say, we have this fishing vessel and it's coming your way. If that fishing vessel has transgressed in Kenya, they should also tell Tanzania that be careful of this fishing vessel. So we're encouraging regional cooperation Mm -hmm. in controlling this IUU fishing. We are also saying, share share the information of, uh, they should have a a vessels register, you know, that should be shared with these countries. And uh, they should have observers on board fishing. So these fishing vessels, the reason why they could do whatever they can do is that sometimes they don't have observers. So observers are there to be the eyes and ears of what is happening out on the ocean. Their role is to ensure that they record the fish species that have been caught, their length, size, weight, everything scientifically. Mm-hmm that can also inform our national government in terms of what is really being harvested out there. So without them, really the fishing crew, they can do whatever that they want to do. So we're encouraging that communication and cooperation in the regions. And we are also saying that the regions of Africa should work together. West Africa should share information with Central Africa, Southern Africa, Eastern Africa, and North Africa, because these fishing vessels, you find that they have transgressed in Kenya, but they moved to West Africa to do the same thing. Yeah. Why is that? It's because we are not communicating. The same project of FishGov1, we have really encouraged the regions to have what they call MCS centers, Monitoring, Control, and Surveillance Centers. Mm-hmm. So since these centers, their role is to monitor our ocean 
monitor these fishing vessels and ensure that they comply with our regulations. In West Africa, I think the last month, they have opened their MCS center, which is based in Ghana. And they have the capacities, they have the fishing vessels to monitor the West African waters. And that's what we are really encouraging. In Southern Africa, it's still a work in progress, but we hope one day it will also be open. And I think so it's basically to work together to see how they can, you know, work together in, in conducting this monitoring control and surveillance. We need that regional cooperation. And that also goes hand in hand with regular trainings. So we bring experts to really train them in terms of what is really needed when they conduct these MCS inspections. So yeah, I get yeah, I get a feeling that this for the success of, you know, maybe it, we could even say that it's uh, it is long overdue that we need to be looking at our water resources the way the way we are we are talking about them now, given mm. that um, no particular country can claim real ownership to the waters they get. You know, if you own the coastline and maybe the boundaries, but then it's a shared resource. Uh, even the yes. ocean, even the rivers, they flow from one one place to the other. So mm. it becomes both the role of society in general to ensure that we we are looking at our water resources just like we look at uh, land resources and and we are thinking sustainability and conservation also yes. uh, uh, there's a responsibility to the farm the, the actual fishermen who will call them the fish farmers to over exploit and be mm. on the lookout to say um, identify anyone who's uh, breaching maybe the said laws on how we are regulating the exploitation of uh, the water resources. But then also from a business perspective, then uh, there's need to be a conversation in the market also that, that speaks to mm. conservation of these resources. Maybe a, a straight ban on fish at, of, of a certain age where... Mm. They are made illegal or a, uh, a mapping of the source of a particular catch. You know, uh, I'm thinking those become then important ways to ensure even the there's no market for this mm. exploitative. No, that is true, and that's where the element of traceability is very important. Yeah, it's very important, and I think we need to really embrace it in the farming sector. I think it is there. However, it could be enhanced. But in the fishing sector, for from our small-scale fisheries, is difficult. Yeah, it's difficult to trace it. But then it needs to start from the point in which the fishing catch is landed. Yeah, yeah, and our our government really need to support them. They need to support them and provide them with the resources to be able to trace it. Now, when you talk about the, the standards, they really take into consideration what they call the origin, you know, the origin. They cannot certify something without knowing the source of origin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I'm claiming this is my fish, I have farmed it, 
this is the day I have produced it. And this is the source of my broodstock. So you can even trace it back to its parents. So, and I think that is something that is somehow lacking in in Africa. And, uh, you know, it also (laughs) touches on issues of uh, mislabeling, you know. There was a study conducted on the public understanding of aquaculture in South Africa at some point. Mm -hmm. I remember what they found out on the market was that uh, the fish that were labeled as South African, they are not even South African. They were basically (laughs) coming from Asia, you know, catfish. You know our catfish? It was an Asian catfish, Pangasius. But on the South African market, it was labeled as if it's a South African product. Yeah. What they normally say, catch of the day in the restaurants, yeah. it was fish imported far, far, far from Africa. It was not an African product, but they say catch of the day. You know, as a consumer, you're thinking catch of the day is the fish that they have just yeah. caught on Lake Victoria or in our waters. Yeah just nearby, but that was not the case. So that's where we saw that there's a lot of mislabeling and the perceptions, you know, need to change. And I think even as consumers, we need to know the fish that we are eating. We need to be curious to know if if this is really a Kenyan fish or it's an imported fish. But of course that requires a lot of um, close inspection by our government and even the private sector. They need to be open in terms of the source of their fish. Because some, we find that um, they claim that this is their stock, Mm. but you find that they have freely imported the fingerlings elsewhere. But they will claim, no, this is my fish my fingerlings or this is my fish top so i think we need to be very honest when it comes to that and i remember at some point there were suggestions that uh, why don't africa Mm -hmm. conduct a study kind of a mapping study to see the fish species that are there in our markets yeah you know and try to kind do some kind of genetic profiling to be able to tell us their origin. Mm-hmm. But it, it has never been conducted. But I remember at some point those were the talks on the, you know, in the sector, just to kind of know what is really happening in the fish species that we are eating. That that is actually a place we need to look at and, and as a continent be aware of what it is our resource looks like and how we can uh, protect ourselves from the kind of exploitation you're talking about. And even here in Kenya, most of the fish that's available, most of the same freshwater fish that you'd get and you'd find it labeled uh, fished in, uh, in Kenya from, say, like Victoria, like Turkana, like Naivasha or somewhere. Most of them are imported and mm. turns out they are cheaper here. Yes. What you'd, you'd get. So I think there's there's a need for governments to look at that just mm. like we are regulating them, maybe the meat industry, ensuring traceability of stock and whatnot. 
has become mm. very important things yeah 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 yes. and this conversation about fish and uh blue economy is quite intensive we might yeah. go on and on and yeah. on but mm. i would like to wrap up and maybe um as we wrap up uh we can allow helen to share her final remarks when it comes to the fisheries governance project by eu iba and generally what's the state of the fisheries and the way forward or rather what's the future for fisheries in africa uh, maybe we don't know yet but we we could be having like major fish farms like you see in europe and other countries people yeah. who farm salmon in the ocean in cages maybe we could be practicing that in africa we just don't know we are not aware about that yes mm-hmm. i know the future is is uh, is bright as they say uh, for mm. the industry um i've learned that uh i've learned the figures yeah when it comes to fish fisheries about about the, the extent to which it's good for economy exactly yeah. and the money behind the fisheries because yeah. that's where once you know once you have value the money follows so over to you um miss helen you can uh, wrap up this discussion with uh, your final words on the fisheries mm. in africa okay thank you for that um just to inform the audience that uh, a lot of uh, my discussions were really coming from what we did under the fisheries governance uh, project phase one. Mm-hmm. So I'm pleased to also inform you that the uh, AU IBA is implementing actually the phase two of the project beginning this year together with uh, AUDA NEPAT. So this project is basically continuing from where we left with uh, fish calf one and uh, its overall objective is basically to improve food security, livelihoods and wealth creation in sustainable fisheries and aquaculture sector. Mm-hmm. So it will basically focus on ensuring that uh, the decisions that are taking place in our respective countries are based on evidence. So we'll continue to build a lot of capacities for data collection, data management, and documenting these practices, good or bad, for you know, informing policies and also for advocacy and creating awareness. Mm-hmm. Number two is that we will continue to ensure that uh, the fisheries and aquaculture policies on the continent are coherent with our pan-African policy framework and reform strategies to ensure really the coordination of our efforts at both, at all levels, basically national, regional, and continental level. And lastly, it was was to ensure that Africa is adequately represented and effectively Uh, participating in international fisheries and aquaculture fora. That is it. That is now fisheries governance phase two project all about. Coming to the future of Africa is that uh, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential for investors to really engage and participate in the sector. Aquaculture, I've told you that uh, actually globally, aquaculture 
the growth of aquaculture in Africa is the is fastest globally, meaning there's potential here mm-hmm. that we can tap into. So I'll encourage people to engage in aquaculture sector. We can learn from uh, Nigeria, we can learn from Egypt in terms of catfish mm-hmm. and tilapia farming, and we can learn also from our Indian Ocean, coastal countries, Kenya, Tanzania, in terms of seaweed. If you go to the south, mm-hmm. they really specialize on shellfish. Yeah. South Africans have got what they call abalone. You find it in Atlantic Ocean from the south. That these are high-value species. You have mussels. You have uh, scallops. Those are high-value species. You have shrimps in the Mozambican side. And you also have a lot of uh, marine species in the central and west. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to participate and make meaningful contribution to food security, livelihoods, and economic growth. Secondly, mm-hmm. when we engage in the sector, I'll also encourage that let us take it as a, as a business model. Let us not just participate there for the sake of participating and surviving. We, I think we need to start looking at it as a business model and as a sector that can really generate a lot of income. So people need to start by having a clear business model, projections, looking at the incomes and so forth, and start doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if I want to target target markets, target formal markets, there's Carrefour in Kenya. Your target should be: I want to pro, I want to supply Carrefour with my fish, and it means you going through the right processes, ensure that your fish is kind of certified or is standard, or at least it meets minimum standards required for human health. Mm -hmm. The food safety elements are taken into consideration. So I think we need to move towards commercializing and seeing this as a business that can really uplift our people. A lot of it currently is basically subsistence. And you see that, yeah, and you see that uh, really a lot of women are in the sector in the trade and marketing and i can assure you they are making good strides you know within uh, the fisheries governance project one we have formed them into actually they requested us to kind of establish formal structures for them so they are operating within what we call african women fish processors and traders network those women are moving They are trading with one another. They are conducting trainings amongst themselves. Now and then their discussions are about how do I access Kenyan market? How do I access Ugandan market? So they are really trying to understand the requirements for trading in a formal manner. So we support them, by the way. We support them because we see that these women are very serious. They are very serious and they take their businesses very serious. 
So in terms of now the fishing, I think I've talked about the shipping that one can engage in. So those are opportunities for us. And uh, lastly, what I'd like to say is that uh, we are very blessed with um, also the tuna, the tuna fish species that are, you know, traded globally in yeah. any forms. Mm -hmm. Those are high value species. Unfortunately, you can uh, catch them in high seas. Uh, so it requires the specialized fishing vessels, the capacities. But for those with large financial muscles, they could start engaging in fishing in high seas. So basically, in conclusion, what I would like to say is that um, let us work together. AUIBA remain available for support, for supporting you, should you have any queries or request some kind of technical assistance. I think we can, it's something that we can look into and see how we can help you. We work with our member states. Should you need to be introduced to a certain country in Africa, we could provide you with that platform for linking you to them. And uh, our mandate really is to support and facilitate the development of fisheries sector mm -hmm. in Africa. And that is what we intend to do. And uh, we will continue doing that. So let us work together. Our offices remain open. Let us work together and see how we can move the African fisheries and aquaculture agenda to higher uh, levels. Thank you so much, and thank you for providing us with the opportunity. And you are most welcome to come to our office in Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you. Thank you so much, Helen. Uh, we really appreciate the discussion that we've had. And by the way, that marks the end of the podcast. It has been an interactive session. I've learned a lot. Very insightful. I've learned a lot. Thank you. Escuchas ese rugido, sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.